Welcome to the PDX Pet Connection Podcast. On today's episode, I have Julie Zagrins of One Tail at a Time Rescue. Stay tuned to learn how she brought One Tail at a Time to Portland and how they are helping pets find their forever home. Welcome to the PDX Pet Collective Podcast. If you are a Portland pet parent or the owner of a Portland pet business, then you have come to the right place. And now your host, dog photographer, donut connoisseur, whiskey lover, and Sherlock fan, Kim Hoschel. Welcome to the PDX Pet Connection podcast. I have Julie Zagrins here from One Tail at a Time PDX Rescue. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell everybody a little bit about what One Tail at a Time does and how they're helping the community. Yeah, we are a all-breed, no-kill, uh, fostered based dog rescue in Portland. Um, So we take dogs from high volume shelters and place them in volunteer foster homes until they're permanently adopted. Um, We also take dogs directly from uh, someone in a situation where they might have to rehome their dog um, to save that dog from having to go to the shelter in the first place. Um, And that's sort of a case by case basis, but our main goals are to reduce euthanasia numbers in those high volume shelters around the country um, and in states that are still having to to kill a large portion of their pet population um, in particular. And the best way to do that is to to partner with those shelters and and get those dogs out of there. So that's what we do. So now do you have like a facility that you, where you keep the dogs or do you do a foster system or how does that work? Yeah, we do not have um, a physical location, a facility um, yet, but uh, hopefully that will change in the future. Uh, it's, it's one of our goals to be able to open a community space um, when the time is right. Uh, in the meantime, though, and for the last five years that we've been operating, um, we've been entirely a foster-based rescue, and we wouldn't want a community space to really change that drastically anyway. We believe in the foster model um, as a way of saving lives and know how much better it is for the animals and then how much more of a community you can build with the humans when that's the way you're doing it. So, um, So all of our dogs live in approved volunteer foster homes. We provide all of the supplies that they need um, and anything else, you know, in order to take care of the dog until they're adopted. Oh, that's awesome. So um, how does somebody become a foster for you? You sign up on our website, uh, otappdx.org, uh, and can can even do backslash uh, foster or volunteer if you want to sign up for any of the volunteer positions. You know, fostering is the primary one that we see folks getting involved with and, and kind of brings people to us um, initially. But of course, we also have people who can't foster, want to get involved in other ways. And so um, we have different volunteer teams and you can sign up for any of those on our website. And then for our foster homes, um, once you sign up and you complete the, the foster application, there is 
like a like a short handbook and little quiz just to make sure we're all on the same page about some of those critical things. Um, we found it more effective than like a training per se, um, but we just want people to feel familiar with our policies and processes and, you know, philosophies on things the way um, we do things since we know every organization is different and especially when you're taking care of someone else's animal that feels like a big job and, and, you know, people want to know um, what's expected. So um, that's sort of our, our training, if you will. And then once someone is able to um, go through that successfully, which most do, uh, we, we want people to foster, you know, we're, we're not trying to make it too hard. Um, then they join our Facebook group. So we have like a closed private Facebook group. Um, where all of our fosters and volunteers are able to communicate with one another. You know, we can post cute photos of the dogs and, and really sort of build that community a bit more. Um, so they join that, and that's where I then post dogs that we would like to save when we're, you know, doing transports, when those arrive, sort of the details of um, each time we are looking to save dogs. And sometimes that's just a, you know, a one-off. Um, and, I'll, and I'll post there and say, here's what we know of the dog um, who is available to foster. And, and that's when people can kind of sign up um, or say, you know, I'm available. If it sounds like a good fit, everything we know about the dog and everything we know about the home, there's no reason to believe that wouldn't work. Um, then we get that dog into that home uh, and all the supplies that they need in order to, to care for the dog. Um, you know, for at least maybe a few weeks is, is kind of what we tell people to anticipate. Um, although we're really lucky and especially in the last six, seven months, uh, with everything going on, we've been super busy and, and seen, um, that our dogs are just getting adopted even quicker than that. So some fosters are like, I didn't even, I never even knew them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, like do anything like super cool for that long because they were adopted so quickly. But, um, but yeah, so that's our, that's our fostering process. We want it to be really driven by, um, the, the people who sign up, we, we know that so much can fluctuate in, in folks' lives and, and just, um, everything else that they have going on that their volunteering is only one part of, of their life. And, um, so you kind of, you know, you, you sign up when you can and when it's a good time for you and, and when it sounds like, um, the dog that you're able to help with. And, um, we, we find that that works really well for everybody. Yeah, that's great that they can, you know, kind of look at the, what the dog's needs are and, and say, yes, that fits into my lifestyle or, you know, whether, yeah. I, you know, because I'm sure you get dogs who aren't good with other dogs, you know, and, and the foster can't have another dog. Exactly. And so we always, we always tell our fosters that we, we share with them everything we know. And, and that's sort of the tricky part of rescue work is that you're dealing with living creatures. Mm-hmm. And so you know, as much as we can do these, these temperament tests and these behavior evaluations and, you know, some of those sort of like buzzy terms that, that the industry uses and they're not, they're not nothing, of course. Um, but it is, they're, they're animals and they have opinions of their own and they have ideas of their own and they've had trauma sometimes and, and just, um, and even when they haven't, you know, I mean, just it's nature and nurture always both a little bit. So um, we we pass along the information that we know and we're always learning more and, and dogs often change with their environments. And so even when we have some 
intel, you know, from either maybe another foster home in the community where the, the shelter is located. Um, oftentimes uh, a dog will be in a shelter and once they have rescue commitment, they're able to find like a very temporary foster home. So then we can get a bit more information before the dog actually comes to us. And that helps their transition, you know, be even smoother uh, and be their decompression time uh, reduced. So, so we, we tell our foster homes everything we know, and then it's sort of like asterisks subject to change. Like we don't, we can't guarantee anything, but we'll always be honest and we'll always be transparent and we'll always tell you what we know and then set the dog up for success. I mean, it just, it does nobody any good ever to, to, you know, anticipate a problem or of course right. see maybe there could be an issue and, and not do anything about it. So, um, yeah, we're definitely, uh, always trying to make sure it's a good fit for everyone and it works for everyone. And then you got to be flexible and, and just be willing to say, okay, um, some information is changing. It turns out, you know, we never knowingly, um, take a dog that, you know, has necessarily certain, um, behavior characteristics uh but sometimes it happens and and once we commit to a dog we're staying committed to help them however we can because that's that's what we signed up for so um you know it's it's awesome when we have a diverse pool of fosters with lots of different kinds of demographics in their home so that we can accommodate any kind of dog whoever they turn out to be once they come to us until you know we find that that right adopter. Um, and so, yeah, having like a group of like, where am I? No other dog homes at yeah. <laughs> Like, this is what we've been training for. Like, you know, so-and-so really just needs to be an only dog. And that's not even to say that that's because they're, they're not okay around other dogs. Some dogs just need uh, some time, yeah. you know, to kind of just be, and it's stressful, um, to, to come into a home and, and to have everything, literally everything have changed on you. Um, and even though it's for the better, it's still a change and that's really yeah. stressful. And so, um, yeah, we, we appreciate our fosters who can, uh, roll with the punches and, and, um, and, and be flexible, but also we understand there's some things that it just won't work, you know, yeah. and we want to keep, it working for everyone so that we can keep going. So yeah. Yeah. Cause when you're dealing with dogs, you know, and rescues, it's like, you don't know what their history is. Sometimes they just come in and you're just going off of what they're giving you at the moment. You, you don't know what the history is or whether they lived in a home or were stray or whatever. Exactly. And, you know, as much as I wish they could tell us, cause I think it would be so interesting and it would just take the guesswork out of it. I also really like, respect that they're not snitches and that they don't complain and that dogs just, they're so resilient. And that's the amazing thing about animals is that they, they don't do anything wrong in the whole world. And, you know, we've, we humans have created a society where they're, you know, our, our domesticated animals, our companion animals are expected to live in pretty stressful circumstances um, that are, not supernatural for them. And so, um, you know, we, they can't tell us what their preferences are. And, uh, so we just, we, we have to like, well, they can't tell us verbally anyway. Right. So right. we got to look to like their body language and, and the other things that we do know about them and the ways that they try to communicate to 
best set them up for success. And unfortunately, that that rarely includes knowing their background. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, even even with evidence that a dog has been through the worst of it, you see time and time again just how amazing they are still able to be and happy and social and loving and loyal and well-adjusted. And I think about how many dogs, how many exceptional best friends that, that people turn out to find, you know, never, never get there. Yeah. uh, It's, that's tough, but um, yeah, they definitely won't tell. They won't tell us. No. And they do. It's amazing what they can adapt to. It's insane. It's like, they just move about their business. They don't complain about it. They just kind of, oh, I lost a leg. Oh, all right. I'm just going to jump around on three. It's like a human. If that happened to a human, you would, you know, so many people, you'd never hear the end of it. So stoic. It's, it, they're just so, it's just, okay, this is the situation and I'm going to figure it out. And they don't feel sorry for themselves. And yeah, what could we learn? You know, yeah. <laughs> we just adapted some of those um principles to our own lives and uh, they make it look so easy. <laughs> yes, they do. I know. It's, yeah. I, I often look at Lucas and wish that I could be more like Lucas. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, so what's your adoption process look like? So if someone wants to adopt with us, they just fill out a, an application on our website a volunteer adoption counselor will get back to them about their general approval. Um, sometimes folks need, like we just follow up with like clarifying questions. Our application is admittedly a little bit long. Um, and every, there's no like, you know, we, we review them too with an eye for, we want to approve. We want, we want to get this, this person a dog and we want to, um, you know, have these folks adopting with us too, because, you know, we figure if someone wants a dog badly enough, they're going to go get one one way or the other. And we would at least rather, um, know that that person has support and the kind of, you know, resources that our organization is able to provide that the dog is spayed and neutered and, and that at least there's that safety net of somewhere to go if it doesn't work out. And, um, when someone turns to, you know, maybe a not reputable organization or just Craigslist or something like that in order to get a dog. Um, that's when things start to fall apart and the system breaks down. So we, we want everyone to be able to adopt with us who, who wants to, you know, so, um, so it's, it's applying and it's filling out that application. And then even if it's not, you know, like, I mean, most, most people are approved like right after that. Uh, and, and you can approve, you can, excuse me, apply for, um, a particular dog or no dog in particular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the adoption counselor will, will respond an email with, you know, general approval and then sort of the status of that dog or those dogs that they're interested in, or just sort of say, I see that you didn't really apply for anyone in particular, no big deal. Like let us know when you see someone that you're interested in meeting. Um, and then, you know, hopefully you move to the introduction phase with the dog, if the dog is available. Um, and then, and then folks who, you know, sometimes need like follow-up questions or something like that, will just reach out and say, Hey, do you mind, um, clarifying? Or we, we saw that you mentioned a resident dog, but then didn't see any more information. We're just wondering like, the, you know, sort of stats of that dog. And that's all just to inform 
you know, the, our, our volunteer uh, adoption counselors are reviewing those applications with, you know, the right match in mind and the best mm-hmm. fit for the dog. And um, a lot of the questions on our application don't have like a right or a wrong answer. It's just, we just want what it is. So we can say this dog sounds like a good fit or what we know about this dog so far, would it doesn't sound like a good fit. Let's work together to maybe, you know, how about this dog or, or find a dog that is a good fit. So, um, and then because of COVID, we switched to virtual introductions, which actually people seem to think work great because, um, what we weren't thinking about, but it, but it makes sense is you're getting to see the dog, how they are settled in to the home and not having to take a dog to a new place, an unfamiliar place where they're going for the first time, meeting new people and having to kind of compensate for like, well, this is how they are when they're meeting new people, which is great to know, um, but not a true indicator of how the dog is. Right. In a home environment. Yeah. Yeah. With the people that they know and, and sort of the routine not being any different. So when you can just sort of turn your computer and say, this is what they're like and see that, um, it's actually really helpful. And, and people, uh, seem to be enjoying this, this way of doing it just as much. Um, whereas, you know, regularly we would do an in-person introduction course with any kind of resident animals and kids and, and all that stuff. Uh, and then if it's, you know, a good fit, the adoption is finalized and our adoption fees are paid and um, people can join our community Facebook group for adopters and our members. And that's where we can keep in touch and post, you know, photos like forever, just of alumni updates and here's what they're doing now sort of things. And and we love that. Um, And then we take our dogs back at any time for any reason for the lifetime of the dog. So if ever an adopter is, um, you know, having to, consider, uh, you know, that it's just not working out or their life circumstances have changed and maybe they need to, to rehome their OTAT dog. We, we just always take them back and, and actually require that. So, um, you know, but first we're, we're trying to keep those lines of communication open as most, uh, as most we can, as best we can in order to keep dogs in their homes, you know, and and to keep families together if that's possible. So, um, you know, the community page really tries to serve as um, that, that first line of defense against anyone feeling overwhelmed or not knowing what to do and, you know, try to sort of cut off at the pass what might lead to I don't think I'm the right home for this dog or I can't meet their needs or something like that. So, um, you know, we try to stay in touch with our adopters and and continue support where it's needed um, either financially or, or just even with resources about, you know, here's the trainers that we recommend and that kind of thing. Yeah. I love that. And I noticed on your website too, that you had documents and um, tips on decompression. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about that a little bit? Decompression is really important. And um, it's something that we try to talk about with our fosters probably ad nauseum. They're like sick of hearing it from us. <laughs> we send out like a, a decompression video that our awesome training coordinator put together, Mia Bonadonna, um, that just really breaks down why a decompression period is so important for dogs. And it's because we, like we were talking about earlier, they have just been through an incredibly stressful thing. Any transition from a shelter um, to a foster home, to a, to a, you know, their 
their forever home or what was their forever home to a foster home, um, a foster home to a foster home, even with us, when that needs to happen, each transition is, is a little bit traumatic for them. And the, the longer usually, you know, a dog has been in one place, the harder that transition is then going to be. Um, and, and the ones that have been bounced around a whole lot, that's going to be hard too, in a, in a different way. And so, um, what we try to remind our foster homes is that less is more. And, and when it comes to decompression, so their, their little brains are just like flooded with stress hormones when, when that's happening, when newness is happening, change is happening. And, you know, dogs experience the world mostly through their noses and their other senses that are way stronger than ours. And so when their entire environment changes, they're just sort of like flooded with stress hormones and, and their, their brains can sometimes, you know, when they're so stressed out that they can't, um, take in new information. You know, we've, we've probably all seen a dog who like can't even take a treat. Right. And they usually love food and they'll kill a man for, you know, a biscuit or whatever. And, but like when they're in certain environments, they're too overwhelmed to even notice that treat that you're offering them. Mm -hmm. And so that's a dog who, you know, is, is becoming trigger stacked. And that's what can lead to really scary, undesirable behavior because the dog is just freaking out and doesn't know what to do. And so we tell our foster homes that really the first week that the dog is with them is a critical decompression period. And even, even more so than that, like that first three to four days, because science tells us that that's how long it takes, um, about three to four days for the, the chemicals in their brains to start reducing and, and coming down. So dogs take way longer than humans to recover from like a super stressful kind of traumatic event. Um, just like, you know, neurologically, mm -hmm. uh, and chewing helps. So we, we, you know, tell our, our foster homes, give them lots to chew on, but short potty breaks in and out because we're not trying, we just less is more, you know? And so it's a lot of downtime. It's a lot of just letting them sleep, letting them be. And, and sometimes it's counterintuitive, but it's like, don't even look at them. Don't <laughs> even talk to them. Like it's, it's too much. And so obviously if they seek out, you know, attention from you or something. Yeah. You never deny <laughs> yeah. the belly. You got to pet the belly. Like these are just principles we all live by, but and it's let them come to you philosophy them, as opposed to let them be comfortable. Exactly. It's, it's dog led decompression where we're going at their pace. And, um, usually for most dogs, the slower, the better. And then the faster they come around, you know, it's like, if you can kind of just minimize everything for, especially those first like four days and just meet their basic needs, you know, um, food and water, if that's what they want, of course, and a soft place to sleep and clean bedding and, you know, just those potty breaks in either the yard or, or a short kind of walk around the block. Um, but that's it. Not, not meeting new people, not meeting, you know, lots of new other dogs, um, not even long walks. You know, some, some people kind of think like, oh my gosh, you've been in a, in a kennel for months. You must want to go on a run. You must want to go on a hike. You must want to like get out and see the world. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> 
Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We hope so. And we, and we hope in, in, you know, the not too distant future, but definitely not yet. And that's way too much. And actually they just they need to sleep and they need to eat and they need to get to know where they are now and do that at their, at their speed and chewing on bones. will will make that go a little bit quicker. And, and so here's some good stuff to chew on, but, um, yeah, decompression is super important. And when we see fosters following decompression protocol and allowing the dog to come around at their pace, whatever that is, and some dogs after a day, they're like, I'm home. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. You know, like this place is great. And, um, and they really seem to be handling it a bit better, even though we know they're probably running at um, a higher frequency for them and, and a bit more stress for them. And then other dogs, are just, they're going to take a bit longer. And, um, you know, some need a, a couple weeks to really start being like, okay, now you're coming around. And the cool thing is they always get there. And I personally think that the, the longer it takes for a dog to adjust, the more rewarding a companion they're going to end up being. Um, and that's just my own personal bias. <laughs> literally nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Except I decided that in my head one day um, because that's how my dog was. She took a really long time to come around. And it was, it was one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's gradual and it's slow, of course. And, and that's, that's, you know, just different for each dog because dogs are individuals. Um, and so it's great when you have someone who is willing to, accept the dog for whoever they are. Um, but by and large, we see, we see that that first week being really important. And, and so we, we kind of harp on it with our foster homes and give people the tools, um, to be like, I know it's counterintuitive, but try not to like pet them. They seem like maybe they're like cowering in the corner of their crate, like just leave them be, you know, and they will come around. And when people can do that, the dogs do come around and they have such an easier transition uh, to sort of life of a family member instead of a shelter dog. So. Yeah. And it's, and, and I guarantee it's gotta be hard for them. Cause it's like, you naturally humans want to pet the dog. Oh yeah. Like it's so <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so like cruel and, and a bit, you know, um, torturous to be like, Hey, humans who care enough to sign up for this, totally emotionally like laborious thing that doesn't pay don't touch him <laughs> like that doesn't work like of course not so I mean yeah but but luckily you know people are so caring and so compassionate and and kind and understanding and and usually have been in some situation or ex- had their own experience of being overwhelmed that they can they can understand okay that's what's happening for this dog and and we try to say like really no like if you leave them alone for just a little bit and you let them do these things that you know just sort of the less is more principle and, and leave them be uh largely it they're going to start acting like a normal dog and then you get all of the the benefits of having a dog in your life for this time so um and even when it's not you know i think even when the dog isn't necessarily giving giving us like what we would anticipate as, as being the thing that we would want from a dog, it ends up being rewarding in a different way when you can see um, that animal for who they are and, and for what they've been through and, and kind of take yourself out of it and, and realize like, 
it's just about them and what they need and not about, about you and, and what you need and your, you know, sort of preconceived notions of, of what it's going to be like. And I think when, when we're open-minded to those ideas and experiences, we end up going through something way cooler than we could have anticipated anyway. You know, I mean, the dogs that like, I remember from, from fostering before I ended up adopting my dog, um, the ones who stick with me are not the ones who just love me instantly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the ones who really made me work for it and who, um, you know, we, we went through something together yeah. and that's so cool to get to be a part of their story that led to happiness and, and led to them being someone's family member, you know? So, um, people say all the time, I couldn't foster. It would be too hard, you know, to give them up. And I think if those people were really honest with themselves, they would, they would know that what's even harder is knowing the reality of our shelter system in the United States and knowing that these animals are dying for no reason mm-hmm. and not doing anything about it. That's way harder. Yeah. And actually when you do foster, you see that, well, number one, you don't want to keep every dog actually. Like <laughs> every dog is not right for you and you're not right. right for every dog. And so helping them find who is right for them is way more fulfilling than keeping them all ever could be. Right. Some, I mean, some of them, don't get me wrong. You're like still the one that got away, you know, and you love them. I mean, you really, really love them. But others are like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like we, the husky who needs to run five miles a day is not, <laughs> I'm not running five miles a day. I'm just not. Yeah. So I want you to find your running buddy, buddy, you know? Like, yeah. I want that more than I want to keep you. And that's because I love you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be a good fit in my home because of my lifestyle. And so I think people who, who do sign up to foster, they are a special breed of um, truly compassionate empathetic, you know, just selfless people, um, who are, who are willing to step up and and do that. Um, and I, and I think the cool thing is that often once you do it a couple times, you end up just wanting to do it more. And you see that even though it's hard, I mean, just like with so many things in life, Mm -hmm. it's worth it. And that's what makes it interesting and, and cool. And, and having those, you know, emotions from, Oh my God, this is really sad to, okay, this is like really awesome and happy and everything in between. So when I like that you have a community so that the fosters can see how the dogs are doing in their new life. So many of our fosters end up like babysitting for the dog that, you know, for the adopters that adopted the dog they fostered or, you know, they, they keep in touch and they still get photos. And I, I do think it makes the biggest difference because you, you know, we, I mean, that's the whole point, right? Is like connection. That's what, that's what we're doing this for. And to, to make a real change for the better and to impact a community for, for the better. So, um, you know, that just makes it feel so much different than, uh, they're out there somewhere. (laughs) They're okay. You know, and I really feel for our, partners that, that send us the animals because it would be, you know, I, I take for granted how 
cool it is to be the ones getting to save them and, and receiving them into our program and then getting to adopt them out and, and that kind of thing. But the, the people who are working on the other end um, in some of these places that are not as fortunate as we are in the Pacific Northwest to, to have a shelter system like we do, um, which has got stuff pretty, pretty together for, mm-hmm. for as far as these things go, especially, um, you know, they, they send the dogs off and that's gotta be just so much harder yeah. to, to put your faith in an organization that they're going to do a good job with these animals that you care about and can't see them through to that final stage. Like that's, that's gotta be way harder. So, um, you know, we, we like having that sort of community, uh, minded approach to just like, it really does take a friggin' village. (laughs) Oh yeah. Keep in touch though. (laughs) And know, and know like what happens to these animals. Um, because you know, people care. Yeah. You get attached Yeah, pretty easily. So n- now how did you get involved with One Tail at a Time? So One Tail at a Time actually started in Chicago in 2008. And I, at the time, was in my first semester of law school. Um, this was actually the beginning of 2010. So one Tail was a pretty new rescue. They'd only been around for about a year and some change at the time. Um, and I learned fostering was a thing. And I didn't know dog fostering was a thing before. I had never heard of it. And uh, it sounded really interesting to me as a student because I had a pretty flexible schedule. I was sort of in and out of my apartment all day based on my classes but I was a student and I was going to be a student for the foreseeable future. So I knew that adopting a dog didn't feel responsible, you know, in terms of like, what if there was an unexpected medical bill or, you know, something like that. So this sort of felt like a win-win, like I get my dog fix and no commitment, you know, when I want to travel on breaks or whatever I can, and I get to help. And that is always, you know, appealing. Um, (laughs) So I started fostering with them and it was great. It was, you know, my, my gateway dog was like, you know, I remember her well. She ended up getting adopted by uh, my college professor. And so that was really cool. Um, and I just started doing it more. I started learning more about dogs and, and shelters, the shelters in Chicago um, and the way that sort of worked and open access shelters and this idea of, you know, county shelters and city shelters and open access private shelters and, and how they all work. Um, and, and sort of meanwhile, I was getting my law degree. So my last semester of law school, I took an animal law course and I didn't know animal law was a thing. And I learned that it was like most a thing at Lewis and Clark. Um, Lewis and Clark Law School has the only animal law LLM program in the country. So an LLM is a way for uh, a lawyer to specialize in a particular area of law and become like an expert um, in that area of law. And usually a lawyer would get their LLM in something pretty technical, like um, intellectual property or transactions or um, something like that, where you need that extra year of Mm -hmm of schooling on just that topic in order to practice. Um, Whereas your three years of law school kind of do like general, like the general stuff. So I thought, 
it's pretty interesting. You know, I swore I was done after I take the bar. Like I never wanted to go to school again. I was over it. I was excited to just be working, but it was the first time I'd ever considered the potential of combining sort of my professional career and my personal love of working with rescue dogs. Mm -hmm. And I loved One Tale at a Time was about in particular. Um, they just, they were a group of young professionals who I felt like I identified with and I connected with. They felt like my, my kind of people, you know? And I always joke that like, what surprised me most is that I got into it for the dogs, but I stayed for the humans because I made friends, you know, I, I sort of worked my way up through the volunteer ranks over those three years of law school and, and pretty much my like whole social network were people that I had met one way or another through one tail at a time. And so I, whatever personal, like exploration. I came out to Portland for the first, I kind of put that idea away. I, I put it on the back burner. I took the bar. I passed. I was like, okay, this is, I'm working in Chicago. Like it would be insane to move. Um, and then I visited Portland. I visited a friend in Seattle, actually. And we drove to Portland. I'd never been to Portland before. And like every jerk who comes to Portland for the first time, I totally fell in love. I was like, this is where I'm meant to be. Like, I never knew I felt uncomfortable anywhere else until I was here and felt so, right? Like, just, like, writing poetry to this city. And I went back to Chicago, and I wasn't happy, and I was just like, well, shit, you know? Where was that animal law program? Was it Canada? Where was that? It was far away, and I Googled it, and it was in Portland. And I thought, well, if that isn't the universe giving me an easy out if I want it, you know? And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to apply. I probably won't get in. It's a pretty small selected program. I'm just going to apply. I feel like I did my due diligence and then I can be like, well, I tried, you know, or whatever. And so I applied and I got in and I talked to the executive director of One Tale at a Time. Her name is Heather Owen and she is the founding, uh, founding director, also an attorney. And was, was working as one at the time. And I just said to her, you know, I, I applied to this LLM program for animal law in Portland, Lewis and Clark. And I don't know, what do you think? And she said, you got to go. You know, that's the, the people you will meet are going to be amazing. They're going to be like the leaders in the animal welfare field. And you totally got to go. And I said, okay, well, how about I start the Portland branch of One Tail at a Time? And she was like, okay. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and we, and that it was like that simple and that, you know, just sort of casual. And, uh, and so I kind of like moved out here with that in my back pocket and, and did the program and that was a year long and, and loved it. Um, and then once it was over, you know, sort of like looked for a job, mm -hmm. uh, air quotes and just knew what I wanted to do. And, and so, um, one night I was cruising the free section of Craigslist as one does, or maybe the pet section. And, and yeah, that was it. It was the pet section and a dog and a pig were being given away for free. Uh, and it was a six year old like pity mix and a like eight month old pig. And they were just sort of, the ad was like, I think there was, you know, they were moving or something like that pretty much first come first serve whoever can come get them like but we want to keep them together if we can 
So I sent that link to Heather in, in Chicago and I said, first OTAC KDX duo. And she said, like, LOL, okay. You know, and I was like, mm, okay. So I went and got them. And then I sent her a picture of them in the back of my car. And she was like, oh my God, you did? And I was like, you <laughs> said it was okay. And, uh, and with that, like OTAP PDX was very unofficially born. Um, and, and they paid for the dog to get neutered, which she wasn't. And um, he needed a bunch of teeth extracted. Um, we found a sanctuary for the pig. And... Um, he, he was not happy being indoors and, and being being a pet at that point. Um, and we didn't feel equipped to, to handle his rehoming. Uh, <laughs> but the dog we got and, um, and then we launched officially like six months later and that was in May of 2015. So that's kind of how I got involved and, and how the whole thing came to be, which is, is a bit of a roundabout way to, to tell the whole story, but that's what it is. That's amazing though. I love that story, <laughs> especially with the dog and the pig. Kevin and Jude. <laughs> yep. Kevin, the pig and Jude, the dog. And Jude is still, he's in Condon, Oregon. Um, I keep in touch with his adopters. I had him, I, I mean, we started with just like, I was the only foster home. Like, let's be real. You know, I mean, yeah. I, it was like me. And then like, I convinced a friend and then there was like two and that was very exciting. Um, and so I fostered Kevin, or excuse me, Jude, oh, Kevin, uh, Jude for about six months. And, and then he got adopted by, by someone in Condon. Um, and yeah, I mean, you never forget your first, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's that first OTEP PDX dog. He's our logo. So. Oh, how funny. So now you got your dog through one tail at a time. Is that how you ended up with your dog? It is. Yeah. I, I knew that if I... I mean, if I ever adopted a dog, uh, that it would, you know, I would want, I would want them to be an OTAT dog. It was hard not to, especially while I was in the program here, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in such a dog friendly place, I was like, nah, I need a dog. And I was like, just be patient and just, you know, hold on. We, we, and so I fostered for the County and, and stuff like that. But, um, let's see, it was that first summer that we were, we were up and running um, so it was like August, 2015. And, um, I got a call from a breeder actually. She was in Southern Oregon and she bred doodle things. Um, and here was the story. Three years ago, she sold a puppy to a buyer. Her contract said, uh, you know, don't breed the dog. And if you ever can't keep the dog, return the dog to me. Fast forward three years, that buyer calls the breeder and says, hey, remember that dog you sold me? We're moving. We can't take her. Do you want her back? I remember your contract said that. She said, yes, I'll take her back. She said, by the way, we had her have puppies and there's four that we couldn't sell. You can have them too. And... The breeder said, okay. And when she went to pick up the dog that she had sold um, and the puppies, there were even, there were more dogs that had nothing to do with that original puppy that she sold. But the, the people who owned the property said, um, you know, yeah, we have these other dogs. You can take them if you want. Otherwise we're going to take them to the pound, but we, you know, they don't have anything to do with, with that puppy you sold us. 
So the breeder said, I'll take everybody. And so she took everybody and was just completely in over her head with what they needed. They were severely under-socialized. They had double eye infections, double ear infections, matted fur, foxtails embedded in their skin. Um, just not, not good, not good physically and, and definitely not good emotionally. And she had, um, uh, you know, just, just no resources to be able to handle six dogs that, that were in that condition in particular. So she called us and, um, she said, you know, can you, can you take everybody? And I said, yes. And so, I went to meet her in Roseburg, which was like halfway, the halfway point um, from where, where she was in, in, in Portland. And the plan was that, that she said the puppies were in worse shape. So she was just going to get me the puppies. She didn't think she could fit all the dogs in her car. So she was just going to get me the puppies. And then we were going to meet again, like the following week for the adults. And when I showed up, she had everybody. And she was like, oh, I was able to fit everybody. Like forgot to tell you. <laughs> And so when I walked around to, to the car, this like Walmart parking lot or something like that in Roseburg, it was real sketchy, it was real sketchy. Um, and like she opens her trunk and you know, we're just doing this like dog deal. Uh, Magpie, my dog, was, was lying back there and I wasn't expecting that she, she would be there. And she just kind of looked up at me and I think I said like kind of out loud to no one, like, oh no, <laughs> i <I'm in trouble." laughs> So I fostered her and two, well, at first all the dogs went back to my house um, and got everybody baths and just kind of assessed and, um, you know, fed and watered. And then uh, I fostered Magpie and two of the puppies. And then we found another foster home for everybody else and, and kept the puppies two by two together. Um, so, so that they could at least have another puppy, you know, around, uh, which helps them. And, and that was just all she wrote. I mean, it was just, it was a done deal. She's my twin. It's like, we, I mean, we like totally look alike, which is embarrassing. And, um, she's just the light of my life. I mean, she's the coolest dog. She's the coolest. She's, she's so much more than a dog. You know, I mean, I joke with my friends that like, she thinks she's a human because like she'll sit in the chairs with the people around the bonfire instead of like going to play with the dogs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, she's just the, she's the, the coolest companion. And I think about the people who had her before me who let her just live outside. I mean, they, they were clearly backyard dogs. She had come, she was still a little bit full from nursing. So I think she had had a litter recently. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really know the connection of her, we kind of called her the weird aunt in the whole family. Like she's just, she looks a little bit different than the other dogs. Her coloring is different. Um, but she, she just, you know, she didn't have a name. She didn't, they didn't, none of them knew anything. I mean, not even sit and they had never lived inside before. So I mean, the dishwasher freaked her out like that, just turning on. And, and it was a very slow, very gradual progression to, to where we are now. And now it's, hilarious because people meet her and she's the bell of every damn ball. I mean, <laughs> it's mad. Somebody doesn't say hi. If they're not petting her, she's very pushy with pets. And it's like, if you only knew how far she'd come, like that's very annoying, <laughs> but, but I laugh when she does it. Cause it's like, you used to be afraid of your shadow, you know? And now, and, and now she's pretty confident and, um, 
and you know, she has her moments still, but, but she's, she's just awesome. And she has no reason to be, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I think about these people who had her and they kept her outside and they didn't take care of her and didn't give her a name and they didn't interact, you know, with her, or let her interact with the world. And, and I just feel so sorry for them because they didn't know who was literally right outside their, their door and what good company she is and how smart she is and how funny she is. And just, I mean, like, just the, the like my favorite like thing in the whole yeah. world, you know, and, and they had no clue. And that just must be a very, that's just sad to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand the philosophy of, of having a dog that's strictly an outdoor dog. Like that makes no sense to me that you have no relationship with this living being that shares a space with you. It's like, and, that's bizarre to me. And it breaks their brains. I mean, mm-hmm. what it does to them psychologically is so cruel and, and, and to, to, to isolate them, to remove, you know, to, to have their whole world be that small yep. and, and to, to be away from their family, their, their, you know, the, the other creatures that they want to be around and that they socialize with. And, and especially when a dog is tethered, um, you know, the data suggests that's, that's the biggest indicator that a dog will, will bite. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's the quickest way to, to make a dog bite is to, to chain them up all day. And it makes sense, you know, yeah. and, and if you just think about even, you know, what, what having to stay home for all of us, you know, did, it was like, I saw a meme that was like, now I understand why my dog gets so excited to go for a walk. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> like it gets boring. <laughs> and, and even when you're, you know, you're so lucky to, to just even have a home, it, yeah. it's, it's tough. So um, yeah, it, it can, it, it's, it's hard to understand. It definitely is hard to understand. Um, but I try to have, as much compassion for those people as I do the animals, just because, you know, when you think about how that must play out in other areas of their life, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not as fulfilling. And, yeah. and it's, it's so much richer when you take the time to learn, you know, who that dog is and let them be a part of your life. And, and they missed out on that. And that's, that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't know what they're missing out on. Cause yeah, they don't. It's definitely but the best. I, I, I tell Mags all the time, I feel like we earned each other. You know, she she didn't have uh, such an easy go at first. And and I fostered like over 100 dogs or something by the time I fostered her. And so, you know, I, I had some kind of like moral reservations about adopting, uh, especially a dog that I knew could be adopted by anyone Mm-hmm. You know, and she was, she's super cute. She doesn't shed, you know, that's always very popular. She's great size. Um, and I knew that, that she could find a wonderful home with damn near anyone. Um, and she would go and have a good life and it didn't need to be with me, you know? And so I had a lot of guilt over, over adopting that kind of a dog and then no longer being the animal free foster home that I know is so important and, and so rare. And that was, especially in the beginning of OTAT was really critical for those dogs that, that needed a, an animal free space to decompress in. And, um, and then I just thought, well, 
I think, I think it's all right. I think we, we paid our dues and, you know, of course they kept fostering anyway. And, um, and, and I can't imagine my life without her. I really can't, I can't believe I even questioned it for a second, but, uh, yeah, she's great. Well, she's where she belongs. I think so. I think we have, we have a lot of fun together. She like, She'll she'll ride in a sidecar, like we ride motorcycles. She, now, does she wear the goggles and the helmet and all that she, kind of stuff? You know what? She's like even too cool for that. She'll just she lays down and makes me look like a dork with nobody in the in the sidecar. Like I'm she just goes to sleep, like this is fine. Like the first time we did it, I I looked over at her like, oh my god, you know, and I was like freaking like this is so cool, right? And she like laid down and was like, this is the same as the car with the window down. Like, I don't know what you're getting so excited about. And so it was pretty anticlimactic, actually. Um, so, yeah, she's too cool. She, she's like, she'll fly with me. She'll, um, she's been on all sorts of transportation and, and just, she, like, she's, she's down to experience the world. And, and that's really cool, uh, especially knowing that she came from such, such humble. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. That's amazing. Do you have an active dog with attitude? Butthead Bandanas creates dog accessories so your dog can strut, play, and cuddle in style. We specialize in creating custom fabrics for businesses and personal events. You can even have a custom matching dog bandana and face mask set featuring a photo of your furry best friend. So now, um, what are the upcoming events? I saw on your site that you had the Dog Olympic Games still going on for another, what is it, 38 days? Yeah, we're still doing our dog Olympics. Um, when, when obviously, you know, COVID happened and the, the Olympics were postponed, we thought it would be fun to do our own, uh, you know, still have our own Olympic games. Um, and so people could either get their dog involved and like teach them something new and, and, and take a video um, of their athletic endeavors uh, and like raise money that way or just do it themselves. And maybe they had like a, you know, a running goal or, um, anything really, uh, and, and raise money that way. And then, um, submit the videos of, of their dogs doing their, their kind of, you know, their trick or their, their game. Um, and then we'll, we'll have winners. So that's still going on. And, um, and then our biggest event that's going to be coming up here soon is, the Bone Ball. So the Bone Ball is our annual fundraising gala. And um, we have it each year in the fall. Uh, our Save the Date is actually going out tomorrow. Um, so I'll tell you, though, it's November 17th will be will be um, the date of the event. And uh, and we'll be getting tickets on on sale soon. Um, but, you know, we're we're transitioning to a virtual gala for for this year um but we're still going to to have it and to make it as much like our in-person event um as we can and 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 just do it all virtually and and hopefully still um you know have a lot of fun and and raise a bunch of money to be able to do it all again next year and so um we're looking forward to that and bone ball is like just the the most fun event each year that, that we have. And it's like the thing that I think, uh, I, at least all of our people look forward to a ton. Um, and I, and I think, uh, the people who have attended in past years, you know, say how much fun they had. And so, um, we're, we're excited to, to be challenged on making it 
hopefully just as much fun or at least fun <laughs> even virtually and, and even though we can't get together in person the way we want so so yeah that'll be november 17th um and and then hopefully we're gonna figure out a way to still do our santa pics so we do santa photos um each year around around the holidays uh and we would love to figure out a way to still be able to do that this year um but you know i mean just with with everything, with the state of the world uh, events, I think for, I mean, just across the board um, have obviously been changed drastically. Uh, yeah. and it's no different for us. So yeah. um, we're just rolling with the punches. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes us all get a little more creative than we were before. It does. Yeah. And have to get a little bit better at technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, if you haven't learned a new skill during COVID, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. This was your opportunity to learn something new. Totally. Totally. I was like, how do you bake bread? What is bread? Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah let's do that. Let's, <laughs> let's decide to learn to bake bread. I know. It's insane, the, the, the crazy things that you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to learn that. <laughs> okay. Because I have the time now. Right. For sure. Oh, my goodness. So, um, so what, are the, like, what are the other goals that you have um, – for the rescue, you had mentioned getting an actual facility. That's definitely in a, yeah, um, that's our, our, a longer term plan uh, for sure, but it's, it's in our sites. Um, We, you know, our, our goals, especially this year shifted a bit. Um, We did a strategic plan uh, at the end of last year and um, planned on a lot of events this year and sort of the universe went like, okay, let's, We'll see. <laughs> it's going to be funny the way it played out. And, and when, when everything happened as it did, and we saw just how um, interested people were, though, in adopting, we sort of shifted focus. And we're just like, okay, let's like literally save as many dogs as we can. And let's figure this thing out and, and just capitalize on the momentum as much as possible um, while still, you know, being responsible and, and doing yeah. everything our, our process and, and not overwhelming our own system, which it definitely there were points where we had to like shut off foster applications, shut off adoption applications and just kind of take a beat because um, we are primarily volunteer run, although we just we just hired our third employee um, to to be able to help with our programs um, and and all of this stuff. So that's, that's super cool and exciting. Um, nevertheless, we, we just were like, all right, let's, let's really try to kind of see what we can do. We have all of these people who are saying, you know, my home is available and we're interested in adopting. And so, um, if at least the rescue animals can, can come out of this, you know, a little bit better off, that's, that's a win I'll take for sure. So um, we kind of ramped up our, our foster and adoption programs. And we also started our kitten foster program. So now we have OCAT. And um, we, we just foster like kittens or, or families until they're ready to be put up for adoption. And then we partner with cat adoption team and they handle their adoptions. Um, but we were seeing that, that, neonatal kittens were, were who's dying in shelters and, and like feral kittens were, you know, just when someone finds 
uh, a bunch of kittens, like where do they go and, mm-hmm. and who's responsible for that? And other organizations that that, that is their primary mission um, are just overwhelmed, you know? And, and so those are the animals that are dying. And, and again, we felt like, all right, how can we utilize these, this abundance of foster interest and adoption interest to, mm-hmm. um, to do as much as we can to, to really help and, and try to affect these numbers that we're seeing nationwide. So we have saved 280 dogs to date. Wow. Uh, or excuse, I mean, so far this year. Right. Um, which we did 240 all of last year. So to, to be at 280 by now this year um, feels, you know, pretty good. And yeah. we've had, how many kittens have we had? Like 12 kittens or something. And uh, yeah. So, so those, those uh, keeping sort of maintaining, you know, our, our rescue numbers um, and, and just being able to help those high volume shelters in uh, communities that, that are struggling a bit more. Um, especially than ours is where we want to keep kind of putting our energy and sort of that really community focused um, endeavors. And, and we had a trip planned um, this year to West Texas. We were supposed to go in March um, for a relief trip. We do, we sent a team to Puerto Rico in 2018 after hurricane Maria and, and rebuilt the shelter and then brought a bunch of dogs back with us. And so we built into our strategic plan, a relief trip every other year. And so in 2020, we were going to go to West Texas where we partner with several different shelters, um, all in, uh, a pretty remote, pretty vast, you know, just literal desert. I mean, very, um, harsh area for things to be alive. <laughs> and I've been through West Texas. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, so Marfa and Alpine and Presidio and, and, uh, okay. Trilingua, all those communities is, um, where some of where we partner with in Texas. We also work pretty closely with El Paso animal services. Um, and so we were going to go down there and we had our team and we had our flights and we had our, our mission and a list of supplies and things that we were going to do to improve, the shelter, I mean, shelter is a generous word also when we're talking about the structure that these animals are, are housed in, um, in, in certain parts of the country. And they have no enrichment. They have no beds. They have no, I mean, the, there's one animal control officer tending to, you know, like five different counties and over a very large area. And, there's no even like refrigerator at the time oh from my gosh. With having to go to his house where he kept meds and, and, you know, food and stuff like that in the refrigerator there and just make runs back and forth. So like, that's not okay. No. <laughs> and, and we get these dogs from these places and we love them and, and they become the family members in our community. And so we felt like, why not take probably the same resources and put it into the front end and, mm-hmm. and make the lives of these animals and the people who are caring for them. And there's some really like amazing people working very, very hard, uh, you know, who care a lot about these animals and move heaven and earth in order to, to make it happen for them to get to safety for them to get to us, um, make their lives better and easier. And, you know, the domino effect will just take care of itself. And so we, um, 
even when we couldn't go there physically anymore to do some of our rebuilding projects and stuff like that, we still took the money that we raised and were at least able to buy them supplies. And so now they have, you know, raised cots for the dogs and a refrigerator and a big industrial fan to keep the flies off, you know, the animals and a year's worth of microchips and, you know, Perfecto and, and all of that stuff that just, it makes such a difference. And oh, yeah. Yeah, there are so many places that are operating without and, and it's not fair to anyone involved. So um, more of that is what we want to do. And, and we want to be community minded and um, inclusive and just smart about ways to keep animals first in, in the homes that they already have not end up in a shelter in the first place. Um, you know, if, if, uh, someone is being forced to take their animal to to a shelter due to financial situation or or any kind of issue that can be helped with trainer support. You know, we want to offer those things first and find a way to to keep loved, cared about animals. You know, with the people who already love and care about them. It makes absolutely no sense to take them away from those people and find yeah. new people to love and care for them when there's also more than enough animals who need who need a yep. place to go. Um, and, and then investing in communities, uh, not only our own, obviously, but, but the ones that we work with that are, are in worse shape to, um, to help there and, and hopefully make a bit of a bigger impact. Yeah. So now w- donations, do you just accept um, like money donations or do you accept like beds and, and things like that? We accept supplies. Absolutely. Um, our, you know, as well as anyone, how generous the local pet stores are in Portland. Mm-hmm. And so um, we get we get emails uh, from several of them around Salties. Uh, I saw that you talked with the owner of, of Fang and Salties. Um, they've been super generous to us. Four Paws is super generous. Mud Bay is always giving us donations. Um, Hip Hound, Selwood Pet Supply. I mean, just all, there's so many that are really, really great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they're usually awesome about getting us, um, getting us donations, but we definitely take, take supplies as donations from folks. Um, and then we have an Amazon wish list and our on Amazon smile. Although, I mean, we all know how we feel about Amazon. So yeah. I get that part. And, um, yeah, but you know, <laughs> you know it, it's, it's a necessary evil in, in some ways it feels that way. And in other ways it's like, if you don't want to buy something on Amazon, I can totally support that. But it's nice to be able to look at the wish list and then go buy it in your local store. Very good point. That's a very good point. And, um, exactly. And, and if you don't mind the sort of like in-person delivery aspect that, that Amazon does take care of for you and that convenience, then that's a great, that's a great option. Um, but you know, the most, most of our money goes to vet bills. We, we cover extensive vetting for all of our dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's where, that's where the money goes. And, and so no amount of donations can really hold a candle to knowing that we have the, the funds to be able to, um, cover the costs for whatever comes up for our dogs, uh, medically and, and never, you know, uh, wavering on care that they need, um, due to finances. And, and so we have a membership program actually that, um, you know, sort of the idea that if a lot of people give a little, it, it makes a, a much bigger and more sustainable mm-hmm. impact. 
And so for just even $10 a month, you can become a member and it can be, it can be for more than that, but, but $10 a month does a lot, you know I mean? And that's, that's vaccines for a dog. And when we have our member, our memberships coming in every month to be able to rely on, that's how we know how many dogs we can save. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not just how many foster homes we have. That's a, that's a big part of it, obviously, but it also has to be all of the financial support to, Mm -hmm. um, be able to make the machine run, you know, right. Yeah. uh, To support those dogs. Um, and, and so becoming a member is an awesome way to do that. That hopefully feels, uh, you know, manageable for, for folks and, and like I said, sustainable, um, and is a huge, it makes a huge difference to us and and dogs. So, but yeah, um, it's all on our website and, and of course, just even a one-time donation. I mean, every little bit truly does help. Um, and you know, it's a tough time for, for a lot of people right now. And, and so many are still without work and, and all that stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, even, even for stuff like that, there's like, there's social media and there's sharing and there's liking and there's, it just all matters. And, and there is a way for everyone to do a little, a little bit that ends up helping. Um, and so, yeah, people can, can follow us if they want. Um, we're OTAP PDX on Instagram and, um, Twitter and, and then of course Facebook. Uh, and yeah, you can donate on our website, which is backslash donate OTAPPDX.org. And I will have all the links to everything in the, in the episode notes. So, uh, you know, if you are looking to, to help out or volunteer or foster all the, all the links will be in the episode notes. So be sure and check those out. So before we go, is there anything else that you would like the listeners to know? I don't think so. No, you've, you've done a great job uh, covering everything. And um, I guess I would, I would just, yeah, encourage people to um, give their, give their dog or cat, a, a, you know, an extra treat tonight and, and love on them hard. We, we could all use, you know, that kind of, blood pressure reduction right about now and uh yeah and if you want to you know get involved in in helping us at OTAT just go to our website and go from there awesome well thanks so much Julie for coming on I really appreciate it and I love hearing the origin story of OTAT (laughs) thanks Kim thanks for having me have a great day you too bye seeing cute photos of pets and connecting with other pet parents and businesses in Portland, let's continue the conversation in our Facebook group. I would love to hear about your pets, answer your questions, and get suggestions for what you want to hear on the podcast. I'll see you in the PDX Pet Connection Facebook group.